Today we're going to talk about the Christian's communion with the three persons of the Trinity. And Paul writes this at the end of his second letter to the church in Corinth. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. This is the Doctrine for Doxology podcast. If you ever want to email me, you can you can do so. Doctrine for that's the number four doxology at gmail.com. Or you can follow me on Instagram at the real bear martin. Today's gonna to be a little different. This this podcast mirrors the lessons that I teach in a life group class or a Sunday school class at my church. But I was out of town this weekend, and so uh, no no lesson there. And but I, I want to go over a book that I was reading. So we're about to get in the class. We're about to get into doctrines uh, on the Trinity. And so uh, this this great book that I read this weekend. I just want to share some quotes from that. So this episode will be a little bit shorter, but I did want to put something out this week. So while I was on vacation, I read this book. It's called The Trinitarian Devotion of John Owen, and it's by Sinclair Ferguson. And this book is part of a series of biographies of Christian men. And so it's called, it's from the series called A Long Line of Godly Men Profile. And I bought this, uh, it was like on a 50% off sale from Ligonier Ministries. Um, anyway, so the the Trinitarian devotion of John Owen, and it's from the Long Line of Godly Men Profile series. Now, I've, this is the third book I've read, and I have I think I have three more um, from from different men. So so far, I have read. Uh, there's a book on Martin Lloyd Jones. There, I've read the book on William Tyndale, who was largely or primarily or the the main guy responsible for giving us the English Bible and then uh to and then this weekend I read this book on John Owen. John Owen is considered one of the greatest Puritan theologians. He lived from 1616 to 1683. He was a prolific writer. So he has, there's 24 volumes now uh, containing his works. And each of those volumes is around 600 pages. He wrote a commentary on the book of Hebrews that makes up seven of these volumes. And the comment, his commentary on Hebrews is around 2 million words in length. All right, just to give you some, just to give you an idea of how much that is, especially just on a, a just for a commentary for one book of the Bible, the Book of Hebrews, the Lord of the Rings book, just the first book, the Lord of the Rings, is four hundred and fifty-five thousand words, and Owen's commentary on Hebrews is two million. All right. Now, uh, also one of the many Christian teachings that that Owen focused on and, and wrote extensively on is the Trinity, and so that's why this biography of of John Owen is called the Trinitarian Devotion of John Owen. What this this uh, series does is is these short little biographies. I think this one's like a hundred and twenty eight pages. Let me look here. Yeah, so a hundred and twenty eight pages. And so it's a it's a great you know if you have like a a long weekend or or it's a rainy weekend um you can you can knock these out so it, it's it's a fairly quick read 
but it gives you a brief biography. Typically, like the first chapter or two is a biography of the the man that this the book is about. And then the rest of the book just kind of walks through some of their theology, some of the, the main things that they were teaching and emphasizing over the course of their ministry. And so the the majority of this book is actually with three main headings, um, just talking about the Christian life and its communion with the Father, communion with the Son, and communion with the Holy Spirit. So that that's kind of the three main uh, main sections there. And so what I'm going to do today is just give you a fairly lengthy quote from e- just one of each of those sections. So when I read nonfiction books, I usually have a pen in one hand and I underline things that I think are important, you know, different different quotes. But if I underline it and put a star beside it, that is extra special. And then if I underline it, put a star beside it, and earmark the page, that is super special. And so what I've done is just kind of go through, I've picked out an earmark quote from each of these three sections. And so that's what I want to give you today. So the the whole book, I mean, this is, oh man, I've, I've loved this whole series. So I hate to say that this is my favorite because they each have been um, good in their own way. But I really, really enjoyed reading this book. This um, is such an encouragement and also just a, a great devotion just to meditate on some of the things that are taught in here about um, our communion. Like I said, our communion with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It just, um, just helps the Christian think properly about our relationship with God. So uh, the first quote here, communion, this is this is from the, the large section, communion with the Father. And so it's on page 55 in case you get the book or have the book or whatever. Now, what he's talking about here is, is sometimes we think of the Father, God the Father, as unapproachable, and that the only way we can approach God is is through Jesus. And so there's there's obviously some some truth to that. Jesus says, um, no one comes to the Father except through me. But as I read here, you'll you'll understand what he's uh what he's talking about. So uh quote It is true that the blood of Jesus alone is the means of communication, but the free fountain and spring of love is in the bosom of the Father. But why is it then that people think less of the Father's love? It is in part because sometimes this is how the gospel is preached. God loves you because his son Jesus died for you, so trust him as your Savior. But in fact, this is not how the New Testament presents the gospel. This popular presentation misrepresents the gospel. It turns it on its head and feeds mistrust of the Father. It implies the very thing Owen believed to be so damaging to the soul's relationship to God, namely the belief that there is no sweetness at all in the Father towards us, but what is purchased at the high price of the blood of Jesus. Here, here, a loving Savior is seen to persuade a reluctant, even bitter Father to be gracious. Jesus buys his Father's love at infinite cost. So, just to take a break here, what he's saying is that some people think of God as unapproachable, bitter, wrathful, and the only reason that the Father loves us is because Jesus died for us. And what what Owen is emphasizing here is that that is not the proper way to view the Father's love, 
Okay, Um, now to get back to the quote, but contrast this with the gospel teaching. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Therefore, by definition, God here means the father, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. There is no gap between the love of the father and that of the son. Christ died for us because the Father loves us, not in order to induce or persuade a reluctant Father to love us. All the love for us that we see in Jesus is the Father's love too. Yes, it is expressed by and revealed in the death of Christ, but it is not purchased by it. Indeed, the Father's love is antecedent to the work of Christ. So that's the uh, the quote I wanted to share from you about the communion, the Christian's communion with the Father. Now, the Christian's communion with the Son. This is on page, uh, starting on page eighty. All right. So what this is talking about here is the this concept that Jesus didn't just come down. Uh, from heaven just to pay the penalty for our sins and then go right back up to heaven. Jesus was born and lived out a perfect life. And so he had to do both of those. He had to live a perfect life and also die for the punishment of our sins. And so uh, if, here's the quote. starts at the bottom of page 80. Christ must do and die for us. He must not only pay the price of death as the penalty for our sin, but also actually obtain life and righteousness for us by his life of obedience. If Christ's obedience is limited to his death for us, then what he accomplished for us can only bring us back to the status of Adam before God on the day of his creation. It does not bring us forward to where Adam was called to be through a life of obedience. So Christ must die, but he must also do. Only then can he ground a full and final justification that includes both pardon for our sins through his death and our being counted fully and finally righteous through his life. This is the glorious truth of the gospel. So what the what they're talking about here is a lot of people think, they only think, of Jesus as coming down, dying on the cross. Jesus paid the penalty for our sins, and therefore we can go to heaven. It's it's deeper than that, and it, it's better than that. Jesus lived the perfect life that we should have lived. And so when God judges our life, for the Christian, the Christian biblically is, is said to be in Christ. And so what happens is when God is judging our life, we have the right we as christians have the righteousness of jesus christ god judges us as if we lived the perfect life jesus lived jesus trades places there's a great exchange where jesus gives us the credit for his perfect life of righteousness and he also takes the penalty the, the punishment for our sin he takes that on himself and so Jesus, he can't just beam down out of heaven, die on the cross for our sins, pay the penalty, and then back up again. He had to come and live a perfect life. He earns the righteousness, the, the righteous life, and then gives us that righteousness so that we are right before God as we're being judged. And so he must do a, a, a perfect life, and, he, and then he also must die for us. That's what he was talking about there. Christ must do and die for us.
All right. Communion with the Holy Spirit. This quote starts page 109. All right. We should never separate our need of the Spirit from our possession of the Word or vice versa. The first would be the error of rationalists and the second of the mystics. The Spirit comes to open the eyes of our understanding to the revelation God has given us, not to give each individual new revelation. Rather, He comes to lead us into the embrace of the truth already revealed. To be led by the Spirit, therefore, in biblical terms, involves embracing and obeying the revelation God has given to all, not following private revelation given to individuals. And then there's a, a footnote here attached to that last quote. It says, the, the footnote says this, Thus, in parallel context, to be filled with the Spirit, as mentioned in Ephesians 5.18, and to let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, in Colossians 3.16, are two sides of the same reality. So if you look at those two verses, Ephesians 5.18 and Colossians 3.16, they they use different phrases, but it basically means the same thing. To be filled with the Spirit is the same thing as to let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. So check those out on your own time. Ephesians 5.18, Colossians 3.16. So that's, uh, you know, hopefully that was encouraging to you and really a, a motivation to go out and get some uh, some of these books from the long line of godly men profile series. They're excellent. Um, now, in closing, John Owen struggled at times with spiritual doubt, especially earlier in his life. A sermon which became a turning point for Owen was by a little-known pastor, a, a fill-in pastor, actually. Owen and his cousin had traveled to hear a famous preacher at that time, but that famous preacher was unable to preach the, the day that they went. And so this fill-in pastor gets up there. The, this, the, the pastor's name is not even mentioned in this book. I, I, I'm not even sure who it is. Um, but God knows who it is. By God's providence, this fill-in pastor preached the sermon that was a huge turning point for Owen. It was exactly what Owen needed to hear. After this sermon, uh, John Owen was immediately brought into a new peace and assurance of his salvation. And and in the book, that the, the Trinitarian Devotion of John Owen, this uh, little story here is mentioned early on. And then throughout the book, they keep relating back some of the things that J- that John Owen writes, you can tell he's he's just throughout his whole life meditating on uh, on this sermon, and and so this was a a turning point in his life, and the sermon was based off of this verse, Matthew eight twenty six, and Jesus said to them, "Why are you afraid, O you of little faith?" Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. Mm-hmm.